0: Welcome back to another episode of my podcast. My name is Yifre Gzad. So today, I will be addressing a few things. I promised I was going to get an an episode up for, like, talking about Amazon and, you know, the Amazon shabang. But before that, I actually read a book recently, like, maybe two days ago, and I felt like I should just get it out as quick as possible. Hopefully, you'll be able to pick the book up and it addresses feminism honestly i feel like the title of this episode should just be whitewashed feminism and how feminism is not you know whole and total and you know complete it is very I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what I'm going to put. It is very diluted and very sieved. We, we only, like, we, we don't see, we don't, like, remember people that are left behind. People that feminism have left behind. And recently I read Wood Feminism by Nikki Kendall. And honestly, I've never heard of this author before. Like, this was my first, I just, like, I happened to come across the book. Like, I just, like, I'm like first time that Goodreads recommend me something good. Like, honestly, I just happened to come across this book on Goodreads, and I was like, okay, I'm going to check this book out, because I've been trying to consume a lot more non-fiction, you know, <laughs> books. Um, Anyways, so, um, I said the title, well, I even said the title of this book again. It, uh, it is titled Wood Feminism Notes from the Women that the Movement Forgot by Mickey Kendall. I actually read a few of her interviews on The Guardian and um, I think there was one other paper that she was on, Esquire or something, and I was like, I, I, I just fell in love with her honestly, <laughs> and I could not just stop thinking about how the book, well, after reading it, reminded me of Feminism Interrupted um is a uh, feminism interrupted disrupting power by lula lufemi i, I was not able to like get the book but i was able to get a few like pages of the pdf on like the publish from the publishers website and i hoping to get some you know when i when i'm done when like especially when the covid goes down or oh, i'm going to just order it on amazon one of the two um so let's just start to this episode, White-washed feminism food, hood feminism, a strong black man stereotype, and white fragility. If you have not listened to my episode where I spoke in detail about <laughs> um, white fragility, uh, I, I can't even remember who read the book, but <laughs> I, I spoke about it in detail, and our I thought it was just like a way for white men to feel justified or to feel like I don't know, maybe she was trying transfer- to make us sympathize or something like I I just don't get it. Like with right now, this is not the like this is not the time for the white savior stereotype. I'm not looking for that right now. Anyways, that's that's like just go and listen to that episode and tell me know what you think. So in this book, she like goes in. Like when I mean somebody goes in, she goes in in. She's like all for him. Let let's just start with um the introduction. You know, she just introduced herself a bit, a life, and mm, how she you know as uh, kind of like family dynamic, the person she was married to before, and how she you know she use that. she told us you know about the things and how of uh, economic and racial um divide caused a lot of you know sort of it was very disadvantage. Uh, it was a disadvantage. To and things like that, even though she's sort of light skinned and you know she talked about colorism and all sorts of things. And I feel like we should just go at this book chapter by chapter and sort of see what we are talking about. Now, the first chapter she called it Um Solidarity is still for white women. And it just reminds me of (laughs) reminds me of when I was talking about um, I was I was talking about something with a, friend, a few friends of mine, and a few of my friends, a few, if you're my friends, if you're, if you're friend, and I was just talking about how what feminism itself comes from a place of privilege. Like I when I said it, people were like, "What do you mean? What are you talking about? Like feminism is trying to like make everybody equal and things like that." And I'm like, when you look at the root of it, feminism comes from Like, well, most of the feminism we know or like, the whitewash feminism, it comes from a place of privilege. Like, you would only um, be able to earn equal pay with men if you actually have a job. Or, like, I feel like I'm just going to, like, keep, um, it's going to keep compounding. But let me just, let me just, you know, (laughs) let me just go. By so in first chapter she talked about solidarity is still for white women, and there are a few parts of the book that really, you know, you know, uh, talk that she talked about, and one of them include how you know when we when we do feminist movements and things, you never really hear about how you know black women and. Um, their children and their families are at the risk of being, you know, incarcerated, or they are hungry, or they, are, you know, dying on the street from gun violence. She 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 spoke about it in a way in a way that I was like, this is really true. Like I never really think about it that way. She also talked about, you know, um, um, you know, this abortion rights and pregnant. She goes like she goes into it and said um one of the things i just remember um, vividly was no woman has to be respectable to be valuable like just because um the people believe that oh that if something happens to a sex worker or if, if a sex worker claims that she was raped then uh you know i like i feel like i should just mention trigger warnings for this episode because um Anyways, back to, she like um one of the things I'm like, okay, so if a sex worker reports with that she was raped or he was raped, one of the, as in one of the things that you hear is how, why is she getting raped? Really, like, you know, people will find an excuse to make a job this sort of, of undignified, and I'm like, this line just speaks volumes and no man has to be respectable, to be valuable, just, 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 like, um, they said we can't demand that people walk in order to live, then demand that they all that they be respected only if they do work that doesn't challenge our ideas about women's right to control their body. Like she's like, you'll be like, Okay, you can walk in order to live. Then at the same time, you have this sort of double standard and this uh, this know disconnect where you're like okay you can work to live however your life is not valuable enough if you are not doing the type of job that fits into our standards so at the end of the day where do we stand at the end of the day what exactly is this feminism that we are all you know carrying on our head and shouting about and she goes on to be like okay she also talks about you know, the sort of strong black woman true what talk about, she said, The myth of the strong black woman has made it so that white women can tell themselves that it is okay to expect us to wait to be equal with them because they need it more. The fact that black women are supposedly tougher than white men means that we are built to face abuse, ignorance, and that our need for care or concern is less pressing. You know, when we look at a lot of this, fairy tales and things they always portray the white um you know main character or the, the main you know center of the of the maybe for example maybe princess and the frog something. they give us this very white and this wise fragile lady who is in need of rescuing then look fortunately for her she would have a strong black woman behind her who is guiding her and helping her adding some you know, sarcastic and you no know, stereotypical um words or kind of like attitude to the old movie and I'm like <laughs> this this line just you know it just brings it out for me and he, he also talked about different sort of like um when People are called out in their companies about, um, okay, she used Hugo Schweizer, I I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, the man who's predatory abusive behavior sparked conversation about the solidarity in feminism. So now, for example, you know, black women came out and come out and they'd be like, ah, that this person sexually abused me, this is this. We, feminism like movement is silent. We are not we we hear nothing. Then all of a sudden a white woman claims that this same person, you know, sexually assaulted her, and everyone in all, you know, feminism power, bodies you know, um suddenly wearing pink. Pink <laughs> it, it reminds me of one of the one video I watched on on YouTube about how pink sort of came to be the color for girls. I, I can't remember the exact you know title i feel like you guys should check it out it's quite funny um yeah so you know it's just is it also it also makes us think about the current presidency and how you know we have trump a guy who before he was you know elected into office you know made jokes about grabbing women by the pussies and yet the same women like if you look at it 60 percent white women like I, I think like the majority of the of the um of the voters okay let me just read the what she have here she said many white feminist pundits um were shocked in 2016 when trump was elected and it became clear that despite his ab- abominable record on human issue on women issues race class gender and education the majority of white women voters voted for a man who promised to mistreat them one who made jokes about grabbing their pussy because he was certain his fame could sway them into accepting atrocious behavior. Like, when I think about all the things Trump said, like, we're well, we 2020, we know how Trump handled the whole COVID 19 situation. We know how he handled it. And when I look at it, like, at the end of the day, this feminism, like, like I said, like, that's what I just called it, like, feminism is for white people. Like, until everyone have equal footing. Like you cannot make you cannot say feminism issue is different from racial issues. Like there's no way it is different. It has to be incalculated. But if you can begin to think of it as different, then you leave out a whole group of people who have been ostracized because of their race. And you know, this old Trump thing is an example of that. Is <laughs> an example of that. And, and is not it's not just like like women like majority of the white male voters 53 percent, they voted for a man who from who was grabbing people by the pussy like you know then she also talked about allyship and you know um you know allyship both in race and in feminism and one of the things she talked about was how how important it is to not just be an ally, but also to be, I, I can't remember, an accomplice. That, like, if you're an accomplice, being an ally is just, oh, yeah, an ally, you can you can do your things from a safe distance. Or if you're an accomplice, we're in this same shoe together, we're in it together, we're, you know, we, we, you, if you offend one of us, you offend the both of us. If you get caught, I get caught. Like, it, it's just a sort of, you know, this sort of bond that should be formed. Like I, I, I always said I'm tired of hearing the word uh <laughs> like I'm just tired of hearing the word uh ally like everyone is an ally right now like and I'm stressed and like I, I I don't need your ally yeah. the type of allyship you're you're trying to to oppress on me is not what I'm looking for. And she used one of um she used the writer Gil Simon as an example of a good ally. You are you know there was this lady, I can't even remember her name, like, she too, she liked to wear that pink too. but, like, um, she went into office, I can't remember her name, like, she went into office, and everybody in her cabinet was a man. Like, now, nah, I'm not saying that those men were not, you know, um, were not um, qualified to be there, but I just feel like <laughs> you, there's no way you would tell me that of, in all the positions, let's just say, in all 50 positions, it, like, all of them have to be occupied by men. Like they are telling me there are no females, there are no women who are better qualified than them. Like that, I'm not gonna believe, but yeah. So if you are an ally, you know, you know what you should be doing. Then she moved on to ah, this is gonna be long. But anyways, she moved on to gun violence, and how suddenly, you know, when it comes to like gun violence, you are like fem- feminist feminists are silent, like. I don't understand this sort of, like, bipartisan kind of (laughs) situation where you claim to be feminist and you're trying to find equal footing and mothers in that sphere are losing their sons. Well, since it's whitewash, then those mothers are not in that sphere anymore, right? But anyway, let's just assume in a perfect world where feminism is in total and everyone is equal and you have this group of women in that sphere that are... You know, losing their sons, their daughters to gun violence in schools, at home, at Walmart. You know, by, like you know, they're in a freaking store buying toy guns, and they're losing their sons and daughters to gun violence. And yet, yeah, you know, their feminist um, friends and feminist <laughs> allies are not stepping up and stepping out, and you know shouting but then if you're an accomplice you will feel the pain that others are feeling but since you're an ally like you have nothing to lose but gain so yeah that, that's not really <laughs> that's not really important then again i was i was like talking about this with uh, my aunt, and i was like when you look at this whole sort of gold violence thing Like, you rarely hear about gun violence in, like, a prep school or, like, I don't think you even have police or things gathered there, like, things that are supposed to just be normal, adolescent, you know, teenagers, qualms, have suddenly turned to something that people are, like, getting arrested for. Like, I remember watching a video of this lady, like, a young girl, during this old COVID, she didn't do her assignment, and... I feel like like she was maybe she was on probation. Um, that my like, asked um that like the requirements was you must do your assignment and submit them by this time. But because she didn't like she's not an adult. I would say she's an adult. Like <laughs> maybe she's sixteen. and I'm Like what oh, is on year? And the judge was ready to have her locked up. Like I didn't even know that when the, I didn't know that when you get um, arrested and you're, you know, sent to jail and you come back out, you cannot vote. Like, I didn't know that, honestly. And now I see what the, the United States government, they're doing. Like, they're out for black people. They don't want you people voting. Like, <laughs> they don't want you people voting. So, like, okay, um, yeah. <laughs> There's no way, like, I keep saying, I say, if you have more police in, an area like if you have like maybe you have this kind of like small community and you have like huge police presence there's no way crime will not increase crime will increase because they keep arresting people it's the same way Donald Trump was like stop the testing and there'll be no COVID <laughs> you guys are just sweet guy um yeah um let's just let's just let's just let's, just, let's move forward um She also talked about hunger and how people live on stamps and, you know, all these things. And all those, alleviating women's poverty is a critical feminist issue. Yet, when we talk about hunger and food insecurity, we rarely talk about it in these terms. Now, the terms that she's talking about is like paid maternity leave and, you know, all those okay when you when you look at feminist movement one of one of like their major thing is the quality and making sure that women are getting paid at the same rate as men. then they also go forward and be like okay maternity leave we get that but if you are not working a job where you can get maternity leave you live on you know your your shift at uh you are doing three or five jobs at the same time because you, you have to keep a roof over your head you know I mean, people really think about all these things like they're just so centred on that's what I said, like I said before feminism comes from a place of privilege you are privileged enough to work in a job where you actually like, you are, you are going to work and you're getting paid, like that's even like the first thing <laughs> You know, that's like the first thing you are going to work and you're getting paid so like there's, there's some sort of privilege that you have there then there's also the fact that you as you know, in your sphere, you are privileged enough to talk about something like, okay, I need to be earning as much as this man or even more because I'm more qualified than him. Like, you know, to. Th- the, Everything of, like I said comes from there. This is that hunger has a lifelong impact, shaping not only so much relationship with food, but also their health and the health of their community. Like there are people who always forget that black people are also suffer so from like you know, <laughs> they also suffer from like uh what they call it uh eating disorders and the like. Well, there's there's this particular line is very long um and I'm just going to talk about it because she talked about you know sodas, drinks. Let me just give you a second. Why is it that they, that we are more inclined to create programs to combat obesity than ones that meaningfully address hunger? Proponents of things like soda tax owe their plans up proudly, but never talk about why soda is such a staple in homes when food security is a problem. They don't talk about the fact that soda is self-stable, is cheaper than juice, and it tastes goods they don't consider the fact that low income consumers don't have to worry about what is going bad about its containing mold like capricorn product did before their most recent packaging changes or fung- fungicide like some orange juice brand they did before the fda increased testing and they would never acknowledge that consumers don't have to worry about soda manufacturers facing the same risk of lead-tainted water like residents in Flint, Chicago, and so many other cities. But those companies can and do buy the filtration system needed for clean water in creating that product. I'm going to read again. I'm going to read, like, from here. It says, and they would never acknowledge that consumers don't have to worry about soda manufacturing manufacturers facing the same risk. Of lead tainted water by like residents in Flint, Chicago, and so many other cities, because those companies can and do buy filtration systems needed for clean water in creating their products in any setting. Now people always like use this idea of oh um why are you know it's in LD, why are you know I'm like what are you talking about? People always be oh, like, oh, drinking soda is bad. You have a soda tax. You know, all these things. And they're like, you can drink water. And I'm like, no, you can't drink water. Like, no, you can't drink water. People are having neurodevelopmental disorders from drinking lead tinted water. So I like I don't, I don't get it. But if I'm to buy, uh, it's, it's, I, at this point, you just have to pick and choose. Like, am I dying from lead poisoning or am I dying from soda like (laughs) at this point i just have to pick and choose like like you know see this these are of the things that 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 just bother me i'm like you have enough money to address i'm putting a quote (laughs) you have enough money to address soda and um, junk food why don't you trust like understand why people are buying those food like why are you know trying to you know create alternatives that are healthier? why are you not making water cheaper why are you not making you know things that are healthy cheaper? like when I see I could go on and on anyways um then she said politicians use fat phobia and make obesity scapegoat to deflect attention away from the policies that have adversely affected the health of low-income communities. Just, I'm just going to leave that out. Uh, they do it do it is as you will. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, well, she just goes on and on. Then we moved on that chapter. Like, I feel I can't finish it. So yes, I'm just going to read part one and part two. Um, yeah. So she goes on and she's like, uh, "Fast day girls and freedom." That's the title of the chapter. Here is just. I'm just going to summarize it to A girl is developing and. She is developing in a world where everyone around her makes her feel like she's doing something wrong. Like that's just the way I'm going to summarize the um chapter. She is made to feel like as if she's doing something wrong. Take for example the R. Kelly situation and a liar when my um Aliya 15 years old. Like the conversation wasn't why is this happening? Why you know, would this happen? Like, take I away from him or this? But the conversation was, well, why did they hang out with him? Like, I, I, let's just, let's just not, let's just no let's not, <laughs> not go into it too much. Um, yeah, okay, so before, when I, when you talk about like, um, women and you know, sexual assault. One that comes to mind because I see it so often and I even read a book a few de- few years ago about comfort women. Um these are women that were taken from South Korea or from Korea by the Japanese Imperial Army during the um I think it's the Second World War. And they're, they sort of made them this sort of comfort women where their soldiers would go in and you know honestly i can't even say sex because no sex just go in and rip those women and till today because i feel like a few days ago they held this um sort of occasion in Sioux where i think like governor or like the president or something held like a i don't know what to call it like a ceremony or something anyways shut up, talking about it I'm. There are so many organizations like that that are alighting the like serious human rights issue that it is sexual that it is sexual assault. And yet, this stuff thing, these things happen, and we forget that a lot of like women are being targeted in marginalized um communities. And another thing is also how people seem to like sexualize certain races and like you know, you know your obsession with Latina women, you know your obsession, like. Let's just let just, just move on. Like I feel like if I keep talking, I'm just going to be here forever. Forever, oh God. Okay. Um. Yeah. So you can like this. Um. Like line she says She's portraying black women and latinas as promiscuous, American Indian and Asian women as submissive, and all women of color as inferior, legitimize their sexual abuse. Portraying men of color as sexually vicarious and preying on innocent white women reinforces a cultural obsession with black and white stranger rape or the expense of the vastly more common interracial acquaintance based rape. My God. Like, I, I, you know, when, when, I, when, I talk about, when I talk about the rape culture and how, you know, sexualized a lot of races have become you know some races, you know that there is i I feel like (laughs) i feel like i'm going on and on but i when you look at it okay when you look at it there is this obsession with people wanting to have you know you know younger or like mixed race children and everything is just Everything is just messed up. Honestly, like people need to just wake the fuck up. Like I'm, I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired. It's said, okay. I said, rape culture a system that positions some bodies as deserving to be attacked, hinges on ignoring the mistreatment, mistreatment of marginalized women, whether they are in the inner city, on the reservation, a migrant worker, or are incarcerated, because their bodies are seen as available and often disposable. Sexual violence is tact- tactically normalized even as people decry its impact on those with more periods. The rape culture doesn't happen in a vacuum. It is built consciously and unconsciously by societal norms. It requires everyone else to buy into respectability as safety, then, immediately position every step away from the standard as culpability for being violated rape culture is normalized and ratified not only by patriarchal notions of ownership and disposability but also by attempts to combat it by buying into the framing that the patriarchy creates respectability politics victim blaming and facilitation can only create a fundamentally flawed and dangerous response thanks for coming to my ted talk like i would be because i feel like there are a lot more things like i want to talk about like there are a lot more things I, I want to talk about so i would be just talking about it in the next episode so i hope you guys just move to the next episode i'll try to upload both episodes on the same day so it'll be very easy for you to like catch up and things like that yeah so yes see you next time guys. Bye.